This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. And our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get into today's episode, let me tell you about a related resource, a free download called the Kingdom Unleashed Sampler. And here's how it relates to the podcast. You're about to listen to an episode connected to something called orality, which is a method for reaching people through story with the gospel that enlivens and deepens reproducing discipleship. Okay, that's a mouthful. No pun intended. But the Kingdom Unleashed Sampler gives you some background into how to share the gospel today. So download this free ebook at discipleship.org ebooks. Today we're featuring an episode from Brentwood Baptist Church and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Orality in the North American Church. How Orality Enlivens and Deepens Reproducing Discipleship. The episode is called Reimagine Your Story featuring Stephen Stringer and Mark Overstreet. Uh, hey. <laughs> uh, you're here to talk about uh, reimagine your story. You're in the right place. If you're not, leave quickly while we mock you. So, we're going to start off with just a few introductions so that uh, the stragglers can come in and so that, again, we can mock them. Right? As they come in. John, we mock you. John, we mock you. (laughs) My name is Stephen Stringer. I live in London, England. And uh, I'm uh, with the International Mission Board. And uh, I travel all over the place uh, training people how to um, share the gospel, plant churches, uh, uh, using stories. And... I'm a pastor in the church that we serve in, in London, and uh, we've uh, been sort of leading the discipleship program there for the past few years, and do that using stories. My wife is Tricia, she's the smart and the pretty one, and uh, so very true, actually, and uh, the one that people like as well. And... um, we have three children, two who are in, well, one who just finished college, one who just went into college, and an 11-year-old boy that we hope to live in long enough for him to get into college. How about you, Mark? Uh, I'm Mark Overstreet, and I now live, after being gone for a long time, back in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome. And uh, live with my wife, Tiffany, who is also prettier and wiser, and uh, we have uh, three sons, and they are all attending college somewhere, and I, uh, like Stephen, while I live in Atlanta, work around the world with solving the crisis in the global church and beyond, that there's 7,368 languages and only about 682 or three of them have access to the whole Bible in written form. And even those, uh, millions and millions of them don't have a way to engage it because they are either among unreached peoples or they are um, among peoples that are pre-literate. Uh, literacy has not been a part of uh, their skill set or gift set. And uh, we build strategies with church leaders to develop leaders who know how to make a disciple, how to reproduce <coughs> disciple-making churches, and how to uh, reach men, women, and children using strategies that include the Word of God and no written words. All right, so um, we've used up all of our introductions time on us, of course. 
So we don't really care who you people are, but uh, we're glad you are that here. That was Stephen, by that the way. That was Stephen Stringer. You may notice um, that uh, Mark looks nothing like Kerry Greening, whose name is on the board out there, whose name is on the schedule. Uh, Kerry couldn't make it uh, today, and so Mark is valiantly stepping in to help us out. So um, <clears throat> the title of this session is reimagine your story, right? And um, if you read a little bit of the blurb underneath the title, it, it talked about using stories in a world that's really marked by trauma, right? And so this session, what we hope to do in the next few minutes is not to train you in trauma healing. That, that's not what we're going to do in 55 minutes. What we are going to do is introduce you to some of the concepts that we use in using stories, and orality is a big word that we just discussed that most people don't understand, so we should move beyond that. So stories, Bible stories, uh, how Bible stories can impact people's hearts who've experienced trauma. And one of those things that uh, we do as we are helping people who uh, walk alongside others in trauma is we help them see how we can use the Bible story to help them re-narrate their own story. So today we're just kind of going to walk through, we're going to walk through a, a Bible story, we're going to talk about it, we're going to talk a little bit about then how that can uh, provide us a framework for re-narrating our own life story and then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about storytelling and trauma and trauma healing in general. So, Mark, tell us a story. Yeah, so I, I'd like to tell you a story from the Word of God. And I'd like to, uh, as I introduce that story, uh, just tell you this is the longest of the stories of all the words that Moses wrote. It's the longest of the stories and the single most important story in the five scrolls of Moses uh, that we have recorded in the Word of God. And uh, that is the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, when he was a boy, he was the son of a very important man, and that man's name was Jacob. And Jacob had many, many sons, and Joseph was his favorite. In fact, Jacob loved his favorite son so much that uh, one day his father gave him a special gift, a coat that had many colors. And uh, jo Joseph had, in, in addition to being his father's favorite, uh, he, he had many gifts. And one of his gifts was uh, that he could interpret dreams and when he was a boy he had a dream that uh, he would rule even though he was the youngest of the sons he would rule over all the sons uh, that his father had had and one day while his uh, brothers were out in the field working uh, Joseph uh, was sent by his father out to the fields, and from a distance, a long way off, the brothers conspired with one another. There comes that dreamer, and they took their brother, and they beat him, they stole his coat, and uh, they threw him down into a pit. Much of this is familiar to you. And uh, along uh, that way, while he was in the pit, uh, there were traders that were sojourning from one land into another, and they were on their way back to Egypt, and they took their brother out of that pit, and they sold their brother into slavery. He was then taken by them. Uh, the coat was, uh, they took the blood of an animal, and uh, they smeared it around the coat and used it as evidence uh, when they brought this before their father that his favorite son had been killed. Uh, 
Joseph was taken down into Egypt, and uh, when he landed there, uh, even though he was enslaved in a foreign land, God was with him. And while God was with him, he worked and he worked, and uh, one of the king's men who ruled in the house of this great king of Egypt uh, saw the work that Joseph was doing and honored him. And he rose through the ranks quickly and was given success in that man's house. And while he was in his house, that man had a wife. And uh, she thought that Joseph was quite a tall drink of water, as they say in Egypt. And she looked at him and lusted after him. And one day uh, she grabbed Joseph by his coat and uh, she wanted to sleep with him. And Joseph resisted because he was a good man. And he left his coat in her hands and ran away uh, so that he could be a man that uh, was seen as righteous. And she hated him. And she took uh, the evidence that she had with her and went to her husband, uh, the man who was in charge. And uh, she said, this man, uh, your servant, he tried to rape me. And he was placed, uh, sadly, uh, under this man's rule in prison. And even though he was thrown in prison, even though he was uh, treated unjustly, um, he thought uh, back upon uh, what he had experienced uh, with uh, the man's wife. And he said, how, how could I have sinned against God and against my master? I, I, I can't do that. And even though he was in prison, he knew that God was still with him. So while he was in prison, uh, there were uh, periods of times when the, the people understood that he was an interpreter of dreams and, and uh, there were dreams uh, that would come to him and he could interpret them. And uh, one day uh, there was uh, a dream that had been had and uh, the king had moved through all of the magicians and all of the wise men of his kingdom and no one could be found to interpret the dream. And uh, then there was a man who remembered this one who was in prison. It had been about two years time and uh, he came to him and asked him, uh, what, what does this dream mean? And uh, he said, I, I, I can't uh, interpret dreams. But, uh, but God can. And he uh, began uh, listening to the dream and uh, he uh, told him that there would be uh, seven years of great plenty in the harvest. And then there would be followed by that seven years, another seven of famine. And uh, when uh, it was heard uh, the king put him over uh, all of the storehouses of Egypt, and he said, From, for these seven years you will be in charge uh, of storing the grain so that when the famine comes in the successive seven years, that there won't be uh, a famine for us. And uh, so uh, Joseph continued, and uh, the seven years passed, and Egypt was filled with grain. And then, uh, as many of you know, uh, there came a time of famine. And Jacob in the neighboring land and all of Joseph's brothers uh, began to starve. And there was word received that Egypt had storehouses of grain. And so Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. And when they arrived, because Joseph had been raised in another land because he was now looking like a foreigner and, 
and speaking like a foreigner. They stood before Joseph and they didn't know it was him. And he became very emotional. And uh, in his emotions, he uh, began uh, thinking about his father and thinking about all of these years uh, that he had been separated from his family and from his land. And uh, he sent the brothers back again uh, with a a few uh, things. And and there came a second time, and the brothers journeyed again. And when when they arrived before Joseph, uh, he, again, in his emotion, sent out uh, the court, uh, the witnesses that were there in front of these foreigners. And in their tongue, Joseph looked them in the eye and said, it's me, it's your brother who you sold into slavery. And he began weeping. And as he wept, they were very, very afraid. And in their fear, Joseph looked them in the eye and said, don't be afraid. Because you did this for evil, but God did this for good. You worked against me, but God has saved me. And he has done these things so that salvation could come to many, many others. And as... Uh, They finished up their time. Uh, He gave them a request to go back and to tell their father, your son is alive. And Jacob heard this news and they brought all of their brothers and all of their families and also all of their herds of cattle and of other things. And they brought their families down to Egypt and they were all saved. And that's the end of the story from the Word of God. So, do you, would you like to walk through the peaks and valleys, or, or would you like for me to do that? Yeah, let's walk. You walk us back through the story. Okay, so uh, let's see if we can uh, piece the story back together. Because normally in a time like this, uh, we would not be seated like we're in a classroom, uh, but we'd be seated maybe in a circle and maybe in smaller circles. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of walk back through some of the high points of the stories. Uh, What was the first big thing that happened in the story? First big thing. Joseph got a coat. Joseph got a coat. And that was because he was the favorite son. That's very important, uh, especially in the uh, trauma uh, healing curriculum. Um, Joseph uh, was the favorite of all the sons. Uh, The second thing, big thing that happened was he was sold. Yeah, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, but found favor with his master. That's right, yeah. God was with him. He was sold as a slave, but he had great success. What's the next big move? Yeah, how can I do this? How can I sin against God or against my master? And he runs, but he's thrown into prison, right? And even in prison, uh, what was next? The story says, because the presumption is, if, if anybody's ever done anything in prison, right, we, we, we say things like, well, you know, no, Prisons filled with innocent people, right? Uh, But you have to say that. Why? Because uh, the actual story says, but but God was still with him, right? He had done nothing wrong, and God was still with him. Um, Then he begins to experience uh, the the dreams, and he's interpreting the dreams. Uh, God is with him. He says, I cannot, but God can. Right? And uh, what comes next? He sends off the 
the jailer and he says what? Tell somebody about my dream abilities. abilities. Yeah, please remember me. And what happens? He forgets him. Yeah, and how long passes? Two years. Two years. <laughs> and after two years, what happens? He remembers him. And he calls for him. And, and what does he say? Oh, you interpreter of dreams. I cannot, but God can. And then what, then what happens? Maybe somebody else who hasn't shared yet. That's right. And he stores up grains for how many years? And he sees great success in that. And then the time of famine comes. And then what happens? His brothers come. And on the first time in, he experiences what? Uh, lots, lots of emotion. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, and he, he sends back word. And then they come again. And, and what's the next thing that happens? He, uh, he begins to weep, and he looks at them. Uh, he sends everybody out, and he speaks to them in their mother tongue. And, and he says, what? what? They're very afraid, but what does he do? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then the uh, part of the Joseph story that everyone remembers, what does he say? But, and then what else does he say? Not just for me, but for many. For many. And then what happens? They're restored. Yeah, they, they go back and they get all of, the story says that they get all of their families and all of their cattle and many things and uh, they come down. And, and that becomes the end of the first story of the beginning. And uh, you want to take it from there and kind yeah, of work us through? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. Why, why did we tell this long story? Yeah, yeah, I mean, normally I wouldn't tell this story in less than six stories. We heard yesterday about a group who tells this story in 23 stories, right? Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of it, right? There's a lot to this story. But this is, oh, I was about to mess with that. But, um, but this is, the, this is sort of our capstone story when we talk about helping people understand how they might re-narrate their life. But let's talk a little bit about that before we go back to Joseph, okay? So um, many of you are probably working in the area of discipleship or at least interested, I hope so, because if you didn't know that that's what this conference is about, um, <clears throat> you may have seen this somewhere along the way in your studies or, uh, or, or whatever, we talk about, when we talk about impacting people and transforming their lives, a lot of times people, um, when they talk about discipleship, they, what they're really saying is, um, no, really, I, I just want to change their behavior, right? Uh, I want them to be better people. That's what I'm trying to do, right? That's really kind of the outside, exterior. That's easy for us to understand, right? A lot of discipleship sort of fails because they just care about behavior. Um, but then there are other people who say, well, no, you know, I want to change what, you know, the values, what, what are important things to them, their, their morality. I want to make them more moral, right? I want to make them good people. And, and, and that's, that's a part of it, right? But... If you just stay there, are you getting a transformed person? The answer is no, just by way. No, you're not going to get there. So some people say, well, no, you know, we really need to teach them God's word so that we can transform their beliefs, right? Right? That, 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 that's the one of where we stop a lot of times, right? Discipleship equals education. And I know you're the choir, so you know better than that, Right? That's not discipleship. Discipleship is transformed life and transformed heart, right? We need to get here to the, to the core. And there's a, there's a big anthropological word 
that people use uh, called worldview, right? And really, basically, um, we could go into an anthropology course right now, but we're not going to do that. We're talking about story. Really, this is reality, right? What is real? How do I view the world? What, what do I think this world is? What is reality, right? And if you want to transform someone's heart, you have to transform what they see as reality, right? Transform a worldview. All of these things are helpful, right? They're, we're not saying it's bad to tell people not to be addicted to drugs. No, it'd be good for them not to be addicted to drugs. Uh, we're not saying, you know, they shouldn't have high moral values. It's good to have high moral values. Um, we're not saying, no, they shouldn't have a belief system. It's good to have a biblically-based <laughs> belief system. But all of those things really come out of the core, the center of what is real. So, how do you... How do, you, how do you affect that? How, do you, how does transformation happen here? Um, this is what I believe, and uh, a lot smarter people than me believe this too, so just, um, I like to throw out around. Uh, I, I, there's a guy named N.T. Wright. Some of you, have you read any of his stuff? He's a, a British theologian, um, really smart guy. Uh, and he wrote in a book called uh, The New Testament and the People of God. Um, he, he talked about this. He talked about a uh, worldview, and he talked about uh, what is it? What, what, what carries our worldview? And, and he was talking about the, the, the Israel, Israel, right? And what, did, what carried the worldview of Israel? It was their story, their common story. And and he says that all of a people's worldview is, 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 is the vehicle, the, 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 the thing that encapsulates what they see as reality is their story. And that is true all around the world, right? And in America, uh, we have stories that we tell ourselves all the time, right? We are the greatest, right? We tell ourselves, um, we deserve to be happy. Oh, an insidious, an insidious story that we tell ourselves. My faith is my personal journey, and I don't need to impose my faith on other people. That's not a biblical worldview, right? That's an American worldview. And we have to change those worldview, that worldview. We have to change that reality that we live in. And uh, N.T. Wright tells us how to do it. He says, if our worldview, if our reality is based on the stories we tell ourselves, the way to change it is to tell a better story. See, I knew you were the advanced course, right? <laughs> tell a better story. And the funny thing is, is, uh, are there any counselors in the room? Oh, good. Okay. Because um, I speak out of my ignorance most of the time. And um, as long as you don't know how ignorant I am, you might actually listen to some of what I say. Um, a lot of counselors are learning this as well. Uh, in narrative therapy, they're saying, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people construct, construct a better story. What is a better life story? How do we give them a better story? What is the better story? It's a story based on God's word, right? And so that's what we mean when we say re-narrating your life story, right, is we're giving people a new vision of what their reality is, okay? So let's talk about that um, as we think about the Joseph story. Okay, so every story looks somewhat like this. 
anyone taken English Literature 101, right? This is called a story arc, story arch, right? Every story has a beginning. Begin See, I knew you were the advanced. A beginning. That's the beginning. I'm an or I'm a storyteller. I'm not. Uh, and a a climax. Some people just say middle, but climax. And a end. End. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who said this? Resolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're we're now really going to the advanced course. Um, and just to show you how smart I really am, it's called a denouement, right? It's French, right? But it really means resolution. Okay? And here, sometimes we call it what? We Sometimes we call it like um, a, a complicating matter, a problem that needs to be solved, a, a journey that's been embarked upon. There are all sorts of different ways to move us towards this climax, right? A resolution and finally a conclusion. Okay, so let's talk about Joseph's story, right? And uh, Mark took us through Joseph's story. Where was the beginning? Where's the beginning? Yeah, and, and how was Joseph, what was Joseph's story like? Yeah, it was a good life. It was good. It was a good life, right? Things were good. But then what happened? Jealous brothers. Jealous brothers. And what did they do? Sold him to slavery. They sold him into slavery. So things kind of went pretty badly, right? Right? So there was a problem. He was sold into slavery. And then he's in... Potiphar's house, we didn't mention Potiphar's name, right? Where he's in Potiphar's house, and um, it goes from bad to worse, right? He's thrown into jail, but God is with him, right? And so, so then what happens? He, he he's, has these guys who come to him with the dream, and he interprets the dream, and, and one guy's liberated from jail. And what does Joseph tell him? Remember, remember, remember me. And so Joseph is sort, sort of, he kind of asks for a bit of help here, right? He, so, so he says, you know, remember me, right? He's reaching out to someone to help him. And then what happens? He forgets him, right? And so there's... I mean, we won't talk about, we can imagine how Joseph must have felt during that time, right? How long? Two years. Sometimes we kind of gloss over that, right? In the story, as we're hearing the story, we just kind of think this happens, this happens, this happens. No, no, Joseph was in jail for two years, not knowing if this guy was ever going to remember him. But then what happens? He remembers him. Why does he remember him? Pharaoh has a dream, right? And so he says, there's this guy back in jail. I think he could help you. And so what happens? It's bad. Yeah, he gets bad. Uh, because it, Joseph says, that, well, I can't interpret dreams, but God can, right? And he tells him what's going to happen, and then Pharaoh makes him the second in command of all of Egypt, right? And so things start to go well. It's going, it's going well, right? Okay. And as it's going well, he's moving forward. His brothers, his brothers come back. So you start to have a bit of a resolution happening. And then in the end, what happens with Joseph? What is the last thing that Mark shared with you? The, the verse is Genesis 50, verse 20. It's, it's one of the most incompletely quoted verses in all of the Bible. His brothers are afraid, and what does Joseph tell them? Don't be afraid. You meant for evil, God. Well, you have meant for evil, God... 
meant for good. And usually we stop there, right? But that's not the whole verse. What else does he say? Not just so that I would be saved, but for the salvation of many, right? And so now Joseph sees the purpose in his journey, right? So, when we talk about trauma and trauma healing, and, and let, we'll just say, you know, we have Fadi, he's in the back of the room. He's much more qualified to give you this training as a, as a New Hope uh, trainer. Uh, Carrie, who would have been here with us, is far more qualified than I am. Um, I'm married to the most qualified, so I guess that helped, right? Um, but let's just talk about what we do when we help people learn how to walk alongside people who've experienced trauma. One of the things that we want to help them with is we want to help them establish a new reality, a new worldview. And in doing so, they need to help understand a new story about their life. So... We do two things. We take Joseph's story, right? That becomes sort of a framework for us. And then we go through the biblical story. So where's the beginning of the biblical story? I see, I knew you guys. You are so smart. It's like you've read the book or something. Okay, so then it goes really badly. Where does it really go badly? In the fall, Adam and Eve, right? So we'll just say the fall. Okay. Um, let's, we're going to leave this here for a second. And where does it go really, really well? Jesus. Jesus, and particularly his death, burial, resurrection, right? Okay? And then, let's go back all the way here when we see the purpose. Where do we get our purpose as believers? In Christ, right? And he tells us certain things, right? He tells us the Holy Spirit is coming, right? And he tells you, I'm coming back. So in the meantime, go tell everyone everywhere about me. The Holy Spirit's going to give you power to do that, right? So this purpose comes with the, uh, we'll just, with a look to the second coming, right? Pentecost and the second coming. Okay, so what we do is Joseph becomes sort of our overarching framework, and then we have seven sessions. Okay, so I'm missing us. Fadi, which one is here? No, I'm going to get to that one, but I can't. I think this is Pentecost. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. This is uh, the Ascension. Sorry. This is Resurrection and Ascension. Church. And, yeah, Pentecost Church. And then the second coming. And here, we've chosen a story about someone who's reached out, actually literally reached out, for Jesus' help. That's the story with the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. Okay? So, when we are helping people understand how they might re-narrate their life, we, we kind of club together the different parts of Joseph's story with different Bible stories. And again, if you look at this, overarching arch, these are multiple stories, but they make one story, the story of the Bible, right? And so, in seven sessions, one of the things that we do in seven sessions is we go, we, the focus is on each of these stories. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is not right. Okay. This is kind of cost the church and second coming story. Um, these are six sessions. The first session is Joseph. 
that's what was getting me confused. Adding is, I tell stories for a living, I don't add. Okay, so, in the, one, in, in the first session, uh, we tell this Joseph story. We experience the Joseph story in different ways, and we really learn it together. And we learn it so that we can share it with other people. But then when we start this next section, we go back to, um, we're, we're going to talk about the creation story, the time when God created everything, and he said, it is good, right? So in God's story, there is the, a very similar arch to, to some of the things that have happened here with Joseph, because in Joseph's story, as it began, it was good, right? So we can go back to the Joseph story and say, things were good at this point, right? In creation, everything was good. In Joseph's story, everything was good. Tell me, when was everything good for you? Think back to this time. Someone who's experienced trauma, right? Having them start with this point where it hasn't always been this painful, right? People who are living in pain, living in trauma, it hasn't always been like this. So tell us about, think back to a time when everything was good. Everything was good. Then the next section, we're going to go to when things went badly, right? The fall, the sin, sin, sin and death entered the world. In Joseph's story, his brothers, his brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery. He was, God was with him, but even then he was falsely accused, unfairly thrown into prison. Things went really badly for Joseph. If we're walking along someone who um, has experienced trauma, things have gone badly for them at some point. And they need to share that, right? So tell us, when did things go badly? Right? And we, we have, um, if you come to a, a, another session, we have exercises where we help people listen well, right? That's the key. When you're walking alongside someone who's experienced trauma, listening well to their story is the key, right? And so... Tell us, what, when did this happen, right? Um, okay, so things have got, gotten, gotten, went poorly. Things went badly. Um, there was a time in Joseph's life, right, when Joseph reached out for help, right? Did he get the help? No. Can you imagine how that might have felt? The desperation that might have come. Right? There's a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, and she literally reaches out for help. Right? And she, she receives that help from Jesus. Tell us your story. When did you reach out for help? And maybe help came? Maybe help didn't come. Tell us the story. But then things went well. Right? Jesus, in his death, in his burial, he, he, he experienced, right, death for us so that we might receive life. In the same way, Joseph was restored. He became the second uh, in command of Egypt. The person you're walking alongside, um, normally the, the person that you're walking alongside to, to help them with their trauma, they are not normally going to be still in the midst of that trauma, right? Normally those, person, those people are not ready for you to walk alongside them. But most of the people we're working with will have come out of their trauma enough to even ask you to, for help. That means they've come out of their trauma, right? So there's a point where things went better. Not that things are everything, everything is great. It's not like you expect a Joseph kind of story, but things are going better. 
So tell us that story or, or just tell us a, a story of, of, of one little part of your life where things are good, right? Now, as we, as we move forward, now tell us in this story, we see now the, the, the church is established and it's been given a purpose Go share the gospel, right? Because Jesus is coming back. Now, now the now the church, the humankind, those who have followed Jesus, we have a purpose in our life, and and our story has been leading up to this point, right? And and Joseph, in his his story, as he moves even towards here, towards this purpose, he says. No, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And here's the purpose bit, right? Not just so that I would be saved, but for the salvation of many. Now, tell me your story, not the story that has happened to you. Because we're not saying that what has happened to you is good, right? We're not saying that what has happened to you should have happened. But what we're asking you to do now is we want you to be in control of your story. And we want you to now imagine, just imagine, just imagine what God could do with your trauma. How can he use that for his purposes? And tell us that story, right? Do you see how uh, we doing this creates a map to help people to, to, to recognize that they have experienced trauma and, and, and they need to share that story, but also move them towards a greater purpose in their life, right? Yes? Could, could I ask you a question? We don't do that here. <laughs> it sounds like this only happens after the person has identified they have experienced trauma. It's not something you help them discover. So yeah, that, thank you. That's really, that's really helpful. Uh, to, 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 we need to restate the, the question. You, you asked, it sounds to you like we're saying this is people who have recognized they've experienced trauma. We're not helping them to discover their own trauma or discover that what they have experienced is trauma. That's exactly correct, right? So what we're talking about here, there, there are... Um, there are uh, other programs that do help. Uh, uh, the American Bible Society, Trauma Healing Institute, um, they're, they're pro- they have a process that really helps people understand what trauma is and the effects of trauma. That's not what we're talking about here, right? Uh, what we're talking about here is how do you help someone who ha- understands that they need to seek healing and you are walking with that person. Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so what are the sort of things we want to help provide people who have experienced trauma so that they can walk in that healing? This is my smooth way of segueing over to Dr. Overton. All right, so do uh, you know some of these things uh, in your contexts, and so uh, what, what we're going to do is uh, bring them together for this uh, special group and uh, for the purposes of keeping our language uh, together. I'm going to start with a circle also. And uh, when people come together uh, that have a common <coughs> purpose or a, or a common theme in their lives, uh, what do we call that? a community, right? And, and with community, uh, in, uh, o- over the arc of this process, uh, it's critical that they begin to look around that circle and see, I am not alone. I have, I have experienced something that others have experienced. And 
the, uh, the trajectory of this arc here is not just common to those who've been traumatized, although they have suffered greatly. They're common to, I, I know some of you by your name tags. I know others of you uh, just for the day or for just maybe a, a few hours. I, I have known some of you for months, some of you for years. Every one of us need this, and particularly the traumatized. They feel alone. And what this kind of gathering can do is bring together a, a secure place where you can hear God's people who suffer. You can hear other people have suffered. And uh, I think your question may, may be underneath some of the question that you ask is that uh, that brewing storm of, well, in this context, uh, everyone feels like you have no idea what I've suffered. Like the person with a cold sitting alone in their office thinking, I feel miserable. But if they visit the hospital to see an aunt who has cancer, all of a sudden, they, they're in the community of those who are sick, but the guy with the cold's not really thinking, right? Boy, you know, if you had any idea what I'm going through, right? Why? Because in, in the community of suffering, we, we want to have a secure place where people can hear. Uh, the second thing that you may have picked up on from uh, what Stephen was saying was that uh, there's a, a purpose and uh, the purpose that you hear in the art of the Joseph narrative uh, or the, the sons of uh, Jacob narrative is that um, what was put, uh, what put him in the place uh, of evil, uh, that there was under the surface something happening and God was always working, even through the bad times, he was always working. And when people hear suffering from the word of God, and they begin to hear suffering from other people in their circle, people connect together, and they, in, instead of sitting in uh, the, the individual or individuality of suffering, they begin to, to share and see that there is, there, there's an arc to their story. And uh, the third thing that uh, they need and uh, we wanna provide is faith. And, uh, and, and what, is, uh, what is faith in a story like this? Uh, if, if we had the time and we don't, uh, but we could talk through uh, times where the story says Joseph had faith, right? Uh, and we can talk through the times where we could imagine uh, maybe praying, crying out to God, asking, um, when are you going to deliver me from this? And, and the, those who have suffered greatly, uh, sometimes because they don't have community, they don't have a sense of a trajectory of purpose. Uh, they feel dead-ended. They feel like uh, because of what's happened, uh, their life is listing and, and useless. And uh, what these stories can give them and your stories can give them. When you begin to imagine what your story looks like uh, and to share that, um, they get to pick up on what might begin to happen deep in their hearts, and that is that, that they will see. They, they will have the light in their lives. Not, maybe it starts uh, in someone else's life, but eventually that ark comes and visits them. And, and uh, so in, in a context... Uh, like uh, communities of trauma, uh, these are the big, big 
buckets that we're looking to provide in a secure environment and to do that in a way where people can uh, listen, where people can learn to hear and understand and, and to, to embrace uh, the suffering uh, that has been shared. And uh, I think that uh, when, when we move toward this as a model of our gathering, uh, then we will have uh, better times uh, and we'll have better stories because we will have heard and we will have understood and we'll be able to embrace others' suffering and then together we can walk more faithfully as the people of God. Uh, we, we've got a few minutes, so maybe we could just uh, process this a little bit. I think we've got about four minutes. So if you wanna start firing questions or if you'd like to hear more from Stephen because he's Amazing. Married to Tricia. And married to Tricia. Yeah. I, the, amazing wasn't the first thing that came to mind. What are some of the um, outcomes that you see, quantitative and qualitative? Like, what are, what's the, um, what, what change do you see happen in the community that moves through this? Uh, through a series of stories? Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, um, re, can you restate the Yeah, question the question is uh, quantitative and qualitative stories, okay. data, outcomes. Uh, the outcomes uh, that are proceeding out of uh, programs like this. Uh, where these. Yeah, well. Um, we'll have better answers this time next week. Yeah, we will. The, uh, <laughs> when when Tricia um, has her meeting, we're... We bring in people who are doing this from different parts of the world. But we are seeing um, in a lot of parts of the world, I mean, I guess the, the place where my mind goes to first is a place that, that you know about, John, is in Ethiopia. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a project that we, we partnered together on um, uh, the IMB and Brentwood Baptist Church and a group called African Leadership. And uh, we <clears throat> trained uh, 24 women uh, from churches all throughout Ethiopia. And uh, they learned how to do this very thing. And their pastors sent them. They were all leaders in their churches. Their pastors sent them to be trained. And then uh, they went back to their different um, communities, their different churches. And we began to get letters from these pastors just saying what, what, what these women are bringing back is changing our church. It's transforming everything. They, they, they're teaching us how to listen. That was the number one thing that was coming out. They're teaching us how to listen. Not give advice, not tell people pray harder, not tell people have faith, how to listen and tell each other stories. And, and, and these pastors were saying, and it is transforming our church. Um, one of those women, um, she, she took this, and uh, she then went to uh, the refugees' camps in the northern part of uh, Ethiopia uh, among Eritreans, who are people, a country called Eritrea. Not many people know about that country. It's called the North, Afri the North Korea of Africa. Um, it, people are over a third of the population has fled their own country um, because of the regime there um, and they're on their way out of the country they, they end up in this uh, these refugee camps and so quantitatively um, she took this and, and did it there um, not only was she seeing transformation but these were all with non-believers and they've seen I think they're probably near 600 new believers now from that. Um, these are mostly Muslims and Orthodox uh, people uh, who are coming to Christ because they're not only are they experiencing their own new story, they're experiencing God's plan of salvation. If you might, maybe you have seen that. That's one of our little sneaky things that's in there as well. And, and they are now reproducing this and, and they're starting their own healing groups and people are, are coming to Christ. Um, 
you might say, well, that's Ethiopia. What about America? Uh, we're, the, here in, in Brentwood, there, there are uh, nonprofit agencies who are taking this and using it and seeing um, healing happen. Fadi um, could talk to probably more about that in, in England where, where I live, which is closer to, to the American culture. Uh, we're using this in our church and it's uh, uh, a one, well, particularly I'm just thinking about one woman because I'm trying to be aware of time, but one woman who um, was actually committed to a psychiatric hospital um, six years ago. Uh, has gotten help. This is not a clinical psychology, okay? So this is not what we're talking about. Um, but afterwards, she's gone through this, and she's been so transformed by it um, in her life that she's now starting other groups and, and bringing other uh, women along, and they're, they're growing in their faith. And um, there are women who wouldn't speak in church, wouldn't share their faith ever, who are now doing that. And we just praise God for it. So, okay. So, can we take one more question and then release these up, people? Uh, okay. Because I thought there was one more question here. Yeah. How much is the process diminished if the person doesn't feel like you can relate to their trauma? Hmm. That's excellent. That's a so, great question. how much is the process diminished if the person feels like you cannot relate to their trauma? So this is my, do you want to answer? No, no, oh, okay. I trust you. So this is my experience with that. Um, so I'm someone who's had lots of trauma in my childhood. Uh, and what I've found is the people who've helped me most have actually been people who've not experienced that kind of trauma, the kind of trauma I've experienced. It's been the people who've um, cared about me, to stay with me. And so what we are seeing in these kind of groups um, is, well, I'm going to give you two answers, right? And, and they're not supposed to be contrary answers. But um, so what we are seeing is that the, the key to all of this is listening well. And uh, if you come to the next session, we'll teach you how to listen well. That's in about um, 12 minutes. That's in about 12 minutes. <laughs> um, it's oh, the yeah. most overlooked step of evangelism. It's the most overlooked part of the discipleship process. Listen carefully. Is, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> is listening and listening well. And you don't have to have experienced trauma to listen well. You have to be quiet. You have to not give advice. It's when you try to give advice that people want to know, do you have any idea what, I'm, what I've felt? We don't give advice. We share stories. And we let people tell their stories. And we listen well. That being said, the, the potential contrary is part of developing community is we do have people who are hurting, who are together, and they listen well to one another. And if they, they can see in a lot of places where we're seeing this really, really explode is where, uh, and I'm just saying particularly women, this is not a women's um, uh, process, but women are the most traumatized people globally. Um, they live in trauma most of the time. Um, in many parts of the world. And uh, what we're seeing is if they can get with a group of other people who, who do understand where they're coming from and they are moving together, that does provide a strong community. So the answer is, as with most of my answers, yes and no, right? So yes, you can listen well, but you can provide community if you have people who are like one another who are on this journey together. And a part of that secure environment that I talked about a bit ago and that he's mentioned over and over again is that in, in the teaching of how to listen well, uh, there's a connecting part where 
the listeners understand no one's ever going to force you to share or come out or be vocal uh, in uh, a part of the world where trafficking is uh, widespread. Uh, there were women who gathered uh, in, a, in a program and many of them for months and months never said a word except to tell the stories uh, week after week to tell the stories and to really enjoy. They, they had been in programs where, uh, and, and some of them with professionals, uh, but they had never experienced an opportunity to be able to talk about other people's stories uh, and to connect that with a spiritual component, which for them was massive. That, uh, that connecting, that listening to, and then connecting it, uh, and then being able, feeling like even though maybe they hadn't even spoken a word, they were being asked to go do something, to share that with people that they thought might also enjoy hearing that story that they learned that week. And to, to meet uh, these people who feel purposeless uh, and over the course of weeks grow into uh, better storytellers than I am uh, is a huge honor to be able to have a part in letting them walk on my back so that they can get to the communities I'll never be able to reach. And we've got to stop talking now. All right. Because we've gone we'll over be five around. minutes. Uh, if you we want more, just come to the next session. Yes. Yeah. Thank you Thank very you. much. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the Kingdom Unleashed ebook sample that we mentioned at the top of this episode by going to discipleship.org ebooks and look for the Kingdom Unleashed. Thanks for listening. Until next time.